On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. And now, another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. Marcus, what happened? I was changing my oil and I spilled some on the floor. Oh, we'll use these $50 bills to wipe it up. Perfect. Got any more? Yeah, yeah, take a couple hundred. Stop. Instead of using money, use an old rag. And here's a better tip from Progressive on how not to waste money. Don't pay too much for car insurance. Drivers who switch and save could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Potential savings will vary. The great Charlie Watts, who was the drummer for the Rolling Stones for 59 years, recently passed away at the age of 80. It got us talking. Could the Stones have been as great a band without Charlie? Mick Jagger and Keith Richards are two of the most legendary icons in rock music, but do they reach those heights without the steady genius of Charlie Watts establishing the vibe and foundation for all those great songs? In honor of Charlie, today's episode is about the role of the drummer as the key ingredient in making a really good band great. Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. This show is sort of like car talk meets behind the music. Ooh, Clint, I like that. Each episode deals with another question in music fandom. The kind of questions that Clint and I have been debating since we were in college. So today, with the help of some smart people, we're going to come up with the answer. Okay, Clint, what's today's question? Today's question is, why is the drummer the backbone of every great band? That's the age-old question. Like with any master of their instrument, the thing that separates like a good player from a legend yeah. is the ability for the listener to know it's that person within like two seconds, right? In the first note, you hear Jerry Garcia... You know it's Jerry Garcia. You know B.B. King from the second he starts playing, right? Just the way they command their instrument. And so as a drummer, that's an interesting thing, right? Right, to have a signature sound on an instrument that isn't melodic in the way that a guitar is, for example. Who are the great drummers, and what is it about their playing that has separated them from all their peers? That's today's episode. So, like, the real masters of their instrument aren't necessarily the flashiest. Right. It's not necessarily the fastest drummer in the world. It's the person that has his or her own thing. Like, right. And there's obviously too many drummers to talk about in this episode there's like a million unbelievable legendary drummers and we're definitely going to hear it from people for drummers that we missed the other thing i want to talk about at some point is our drummers crazy <laughs> because we've all had drummer experiences so we'll have to get into that too well since today's episode is inspired by charlie watts let's start with charlie <laughs> So he was the drummer for the Stones for 59 years. In fact, when the band first formed, 
they knew they needed a good drummer, and Charlie was already a professional musician. In fact, in the late 50s, he joined a jazz band called the Joe Jones All-Stars, and jazz would always be his first love. It was the music that he made when he wasn't making music with the Rolling Stones. In 1962, Brian Jones, Ian Stewart, Mick Jagger, and Keith Richards met Charlie at a rhythm and blues club in London, and they offered him the gig as their drummer, but they couldn't afford to pay him what he was making. So it wasn't until the following year, 1963, that he joined the band. And between February 2nd, 1963, that first show at the Ealing Jazz Club, to August 30th, 2019, at the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, Charlie Watts never missed a single Rolling Stones concert. Oh my lord. But let's talk about his drumming. What strikes me as remarkable is actually his range. Think of the manic drive of Painted Black. The funky groove of honky-tonk women. Straight ahead rock of songs like Rocks Off. The laid back vibe of Beast of Burden. modest foundation of wild horses. All those songs are different. Different. Yeah, very different. some people that do them but I, generally I don't like them I never, I don't, it's not something I sit and listen to I prefer drummers in a band you know playing with the band I love this interview Charlie did with 60 Minutes a few years ago he talks about what his role is in the band the interview and the way he responds to this question tells you everything you need to know about his personality that he was just no nonsense he didn't care about the trappings of fame of stardom he was working class in his approach to doing his job. You talked about Mick and Keith and Ron. What's Charlie's role? I don't know. I mean, I always consider myself a drummer, you know? And uh, so that's to keep the time. 
help everybody else do what they do, yeah? One night in Amsterdam, when Mick and Keith had been out all night drinking, they came back to their hotel, and Mick calls up Charlie, wakes him up, and grumbles, Where's my f***ing drama? <laughs> Ten minutes later, Charlie shows up at Mick's door, showered, wearing a suit, wearing a tie, <laughs> dressed to the nines, and he punches Mick in the face <laughs> and says, Don't ever call me your f- drummer again and then he says you're my singer right yeah. isn't it you're, like you're that? my singer in a way that's right yeah you're... they're both right aren't they that's what i mean <laughs> so it's, it's quite an honor really if you think about it for anyone to say this is my something but it pissed me off mm. <laughs> and you let him know it yeah heard a lot of people talk about Charlie Watts drumming in the days since he passed and this idea that he would sort of like pull off the hi-hat in a way that was totally unique to him and was slightly behind the beat but kept the whole band together yeah and it's that fourth hi-hat hit in a measure of four so if it's there's four it's like and so the snare pops through the mix more if there's not a hi-hat on it and that's where it came from. I love this interview with Stuart Copeland, the drummer from The Police, talking about what makes Charlie's style so unique. Technically, what he does is with his foot, with his bass drum, he kicks the beat ahead so that it has forward, that forward motion. But his snare drum is just slightly late. That's technically what he's doing. But just you try it, it's not going to be the same. <laughs> it's a personality. Every human being on the planet has a personality. Um, and musically, uh, when Keith Richards plays that guitar, there's a distinct personality there. And that's also true of Charlie Watts. If you try and replace Charlie, it ain't the Rolling Stones anymore. I feel like some of the songs start weirdly, like Start Me Up. Honky Tonk Women, where it's like at a weird beat or something. Let's listen to the beginning of Honky Tonk Woman real fast. Isn't that weird? It's like, strange. Like they screwed up and kept it, or if it was part of the plan... And then he learned how to do it for live shows or, you know, I've never known. Huh. Charlie yeah. Watts. So different than the drummer that I'm going to talk about first. Late on me. I think I'm going to talk about Keith Moon first. Mm. Just because he's so opposite of Charlie Watts, both in personality and drumming. Of course, Keith Moon is the legendary drummer for The Who. Keith Moon is as much known for his eccentric lifestyle. Crazy. Crazy yeah. and extravagant. Keith Moon is about as far out as you get. Yeah. 
way Keith Moon joined The Who. After the original drummer left, The Who got a session drummer. And they were doing a gig. Keith Moon came to the gig. At set break, said to Pete Townsend, I can do better. <laughs> and he's like, all right. They said, go ahead. So he got the other guy's drums and did one song. He just laid into the drums. He broke the kick drum pedal and two skins and then got off stage. So in one song, broke two skins and the kick drum pedal and, you know, was drunk. Yeah. Got off stage and he was like, well, I guess I didn't get that gig. Later on, after the gig, Pete Townsend came up and was like, dig your style, man. That's incredible. So that's how he got in. Incredible, right? Isn't Animal from the Muppets based, based on Keith Moon? Yeah, I think he is. Yeah, I thought uh, some of you might like to know a little bit more about uh, our drummer, whom we affectionately refer to as Animal. Animal! Which is so exactly right. Flailing all around. He's and... literally like he's called Animal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how Keith Moon played the drums. Here's a broke at you. You're gonna choke on it too. You're gonna lose that smile. Because I'm the that's exactly right he really loved blowing up toilets that was the keith moon thing he's famous for throwing tvs out of the windows the archetype of the rock star that would trash a hotel room is is keith, keith moon. moon a great story is he's he's on a limousine on the way to the airport he left the hotel going to the airport and he tells the limber driver, no, 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 go back. I forgot something. Goes back. Goes back into the room. Takes the TV. Throws it out the window into the pool of the hotel. Walks out of the hotel. Gets back in the limo. Goes to the airport. I don't want my reputation. He doesn't want to... his reputation soiled. That's incredible. Isn't that amazing? That's never free. seeing an interview with Pete Townsend talking about Keith Moon's excesses and he talked about one time Keith Moon taking a horse tranquilizer and the, the way Ke- <laughs> the way Pete Townsend tells the story is like I believe it was a kind you put in a gun and shoot into the animal and he was told by his friend you know this is a horse tranquilizer you should really take only about a half and Keith Moon being Keith Moon of the Who, he took the whole of the horse tranquilizer, and one song into the set, I noticed the drumming became quite erratic, and then two songs into the set, I noticed there was no drumming at all. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, cuts to the footage of the show. I think it was at the Cow Palace in San Francisco, and cut to Pete Townsend saying.
I love that so much. Oh That's Keith God. Moon. That is, man. I found this great article, Clint, on Marshall's website, you know, the maker of guitar amps. Huh. The article was called The Role of the Drummer in Modern Music. The piece is from 2019, marking the 100th year since the advent of the contemporary drum kit. Interesting to note. <laughs> the contemporary drum kit dates to about 1919. Its job description of what a drummer needs to do goes like this. Number one, keep time. The drummer lays the foundation, provides the pulse, and brings the groove for the track, letting the rest of the band express themselves creatively. Number two, do what's required. The real value comes in knowing when to be the center of attention and when to sit back. Number three, listen to the other band members. The rhythm section, that is drums together with the bass, are the engine of a car, powering everything along. The vocals and the guitars, they're the bodywork and the paint job. They may be what you remember, but the car won't get very far without its engine. Hmm. Number four, perfection. The guitarist or vocalist, they can get away with the odd mistake here and there, but not the drummer. Miss a beat, drop the tempo, and things come off the tracks. Everybody knows. Yeah. So you do all those things, but then you have your own flair, yes. your own thing that defines you as a drummer, and that's what elevates a band from good to great. The starting point is perfection. Like, you need to be perfect. You have to be perfect every time. You know, that's not fair. I'm sorry. But. Well, So just to be clear, we're not going to talk about Ringo in this episode, even though Ringo is, for us, one of our favorite drummers, yes. one of the great drummers of all time, a key ingredient to the genius of the Beatles. Yes. We talked about Ringo pretty extensively in episode three, and in fact, we talked to Russ Lawton, who's the drummer of the Trey Anastasio band. He's in a great band called Solomond. We've talked to Russ about his role in the Trey Anastasio band and that because Trey has a background as a drummer, he played the drums as a, as a kid, he's keenly aware of what's happening on the drums. And so there's a lot of pressure on Russ yeah. to start a song in the right tempo. Right. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the other thing. When a band, a live band is playing, the drummer has to count the band in. Yeah, generally. Generally. Yeah. And a few BPMs here or there. Ruins it, literally. Like, like either you're, the, band, the song is cooking too fast. Too fast. Or it's dragging. Right. Keeping that time as simple and as intuitive as that job description is, is like the crux of it all. And it's a lifelong pursuit. Drummers are obsessed with time to a neurotic state. Yeah. Really, they just worry about keeping the time because like you're saying you mess up even a little bit and every single person is like huh well even if they don't understand music at all i'm going to talk about another guy great one of my favorite drummers of all time carter beauford from the dave matthews band His magic power is that he's ambidextrous. 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 <laughs> yeah. He plays the drums differently than all the drummers we've talked about so far. He plays open-handed, meaning he plays the hi-hat with his left hand and the snare with his right hand. Hmm. So Carter is a, an anomaly in that fact. And the reason he did it is because when he was little, 
He was obsessed with Buddy Rich. So he went to see a Buddy Rich concert with his dad when he was young because his dad couldn't find a babysitter for him. So he's like, all right, fine, you just come with me. So he sees Buddy Rich, and then he becomes obsessed with the drums. And so he used to set up his drum kit in a mirror, but it's reversed, right? Because it's a mirror, right? So his, all of a sudden he's playing the hi-hat with the hand that he thinks he should be, but he's a little kid, so he doesn't get it. And so that's how he actually came to his open hand technique. People listening can't see what you're doing. Yeah. Playing with two hands. I see Carter both. That's it. Like you that's, see it. That's the impression. Yeah. Like, yeah. What makes Carter so masterful in my mind is his hi-hat work. So, for example, let's listen to number 41. His use of the hi-hat is so different than anyone else. Mm. It's constantly evolving, ever-changing. He never just... Like most drummers do. Mm -hmm. And he's also got such command and just force on the instrument. He's really good. Let's listen to Say Goodbye from Crash. The intro to this song is unbelievable, and it really highlights Carter as a drummer. think Dave Matthews band is the band that it is now without Carter in the band. Hmm. I love Dave Matthews songs, but with a, just a regular drummer, I don't think the songs elevate to the point they get to now without Carter. This is the theme of today's conversation. The drummer as the secret ingredient, right. the secret weapon in a great band, making a, a really good band great. I think this is the primo example of that situation. Yep. Clint, I want to talk for a minute about a French drummer. Okay. The amazing Manu Kache. I became aware of his playing from Peter Gabriel's classic record, So. In 1985, Peter Gabriel was working in his studio in England with producer Daniel Lenoir. So while he's working on this record, he's also listening to a jazz fusion record produced by a friend of his, George Acony. And he hears this drumming that just totally transfixes him. So he calls up George Acony and he says... Who is this player? And George Acne says, well, that's Manu Kache. I got a phone call in my room, so of course I answered the phone. This is Manu here. It's, it's Peter Gabriel. I say, yeah, okay. So I thought, was my friend you know, doing a joke? I said, yeah, okay, Camille. Peter was calling him. He was not returning Peter's calls. Five minutes later, the, the phone rings again. Hello, Manu, this is Peter Gabriel. He says, Camille, please stop calling me. Peter called me in New York and said, you know, I don't know what's going on with this drummer. He's not returning the call. So I remember I called him with Peter on the line, and we said... Uh, I would love to have you on, uh, on my next project. So I said to George, are you sure this guy can shuffle? That's the voice of Daniel Lenoir, the producer. We have to have a man who understands the shuffle. I said, well, he's the best in Paris. Trust me, I think you'll love him. So he goes to England from Paris to work on this new song that Peter Gabriel has called Sledgehammer. Sat down, listened to the track once, maybe twice. This is the voice of the engineer from that session. With Peter in the control room, not even in the room with him. Just said, okay, you know, play, play what you think, play what you think. 
man who did one take. And it's brilliant. Hmm. It's You can see Peter Gabriel and Daniel Lenoir just like fall in love. And I go back into the studio, I said, we listen to it, I said, and I see Peter moving and really having this great and nice smile on his face. And, and I said, you like it? He said, yeah. And Peter said, great, let's do it again. And Manu's response was, why? I've already done it. <laughs> I just played it. <laughs> so good. I love that so much. And that song became the biggest song on Peter Gabriel's biggest album. Although, of course, there were a bunch of big songs on that album, including In Your Eyes, which we've talked about. By the way, that story comes from VH1's classic album on this record, which also includes this one, Don't Give Up. In this proud land we grew up strong We were wanted all along I was taught to fight, taught to win I never thought I could fail Mercy Street, man, what a record. What a record. Looking down on empty streets, all she can see are the dreams all made But on the song Red Rain, Peter Gabriel hires a legendary drummer to just play the hi-hat. Do you remember this? Huh. Stuart Copeland of the Police. Peter Gabriel hires him to just play the hi-hat on this song. <laughs> Let's talk about Stuart Copeland for a minute. Yeah. Now, casual fans of music may think of Sting as the genius of that band. And of course, he is a genius. But like we're saying, Stuart Copeland takes a really good band and makes it great. Here are some highlights. Synchronicity 1. He's playing in 4-4 while the rest of the band is playing in 7-4. It's this tightly tuned snare that cuts through the rest of the track's instrumentation. How about Walking on the Moon? from the band's Regatta de Blanc album. One of my favorites. He uses a delay effect on the drums and plays against that echo, creating a more complex groove for the band to play to. And it's another showcase of his hi-hat playing. In this band, in the police, the drums is almost like a lead instrument. Yeah. Here's Message in a Bottle, again from Regatta de Blanc. The hi-hat triplets, the drum fills. The effect was achieved by double-tracking his performance, and he said before that he takes great pleasure in watching drummers try to recreate what he did live. That's awesome. Here's another isolated track, this time with Sting's bass. It's Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic. Listen to this drumming. different feel i mean he, he you can tell he's completely influenced by reggae reggae but infused with a punk sensibility yeah. 
if we want to talk about trios, Ginger Baker is another good example of the same kind of thing where in Cream, he was such an integral part of that sound and it wouldn't have been the same band. Jack Bruce, Ginger Baker, Ginger Baker, and Eric Clapton. Yep. I've been waiting so long to be where I'm going in the sunshine of your And he's a nutcase. I watched that documentary. Have you seen the Ginger Baker documentary? He's cray cray. Getting back to the the point you made earlier in this episode, our drummer's crazy. Let's talk about this for two seconds. Yeah. It's sort of like goalies. (laughs) It's very much like goalies. Like goalies are, generally speaking, a crazy breed of people. Yes. Like you almost have to be. It's a different role first of all than every one like if it's a soccer team for example right. then 10 other people on the field you have your own distinct role you get to use your hands <laughs> right no one else yeah i feel that way about drummers that they are yeah. like a breed unto themselves i agree just the volume of drums you have to have a specific type of parent to, to be allow a drummer, that to allow that's that. true because a lot of parents do not want that ruckus and so every drummer talks about it like any famous drummer is like, well, you know, I, I was allowed to do this. So right. it's an interesting point. So you are dealing with a specific type of person right off the bat. Growing up, growing up in a specific environment. Right. And it's definitely, you need all four limbs going independently. The physicality. The physicality of it. That's the word. Yeah. Thank you. Give us one more exceptional drummer who turned a really, really good band into a transcendently great band. The one drummer we haven't talked about who is maybe the greatest drummer of all time, John Henry Bonzo Bonham. John Bonham from Led Zeppelin. I love how he became a member of Led Zeppelin too. Jimmy Page was in the Yardbirds. Yardbirds split up. He wants to start a new band. So he had seen Robert Plant. So he called Robert Plant. And Robert Plant had been in two other bands with John Bonham. Hmm. And so it was like, I got this guy. Jimmy Page was like, I don't know, you know, he wanted to get Procol Harum's drummer, but it's like, okay, I'll go check it out. So he goes to a concert in North London and he sees Bonham playing for the first time. Blown away. That night he was like, that's the bloke. That's the bloke. Gets in the band and really what it is about Bonham is his kick drum. His right foot is like so thunderous and he's really fast and accurate and his feel is incredible. What are some highlights? Let's listen to Fool in the Rain. One, two, three, four. And he's just crushing it. And then his straight-ahead rock is unmatched. There's 
almost like a funk to it too. What any great drummer can do is play in all different genres, right? The legends do it in a way that you know it's them. And do it in a way that just feels so good. And it sounds so dumb to say, but part of drums is the feel. And when it feels good, it doesn't feel too robotic. It's behind the beat just enough. There is a sweet spot. I think you just nailed it because what you said earlier that like you can tell Carter Beaufort just by hearing the hi-hat or you can tell Bonham by his right foot. I actually think the vast majority of people can't tell those things, but they, they can on a subconscious level. And it's that feel when it is Feels different. Right. That's sort of what we're talking about with these drummers is that the feel that they create is totally unique and for lack of a better word, special. And is what elevates good to great. I would love to call Steve Haddocka. Great. Steve Haddocka is Burlington legend, drummer, been in every band, uh, played with him hundreds of times. Great guy, but done a couple Led Zeppelin tributes with him, so he has a specific love and respect and knowledge about John Bonham that we're really going to dig, so let's call him. Love it. Hey, man. Steve Haddock, welcome to the age-old question. Thanks for having me. I've played so many gigs with you. You are a great drummer. You have way more insight than anyone else I could talk to. And so specifically, we've been talking about Led Zeppelin and John Bonham. And what makes Bonham the greatest drummer of all time? If you're going to have a conversation about great drummers, you would be doing a disservice if you left Bonham out. There's a lot to talk about there. I organized my thoughts into three categories. Whoa, okay. Uh, three, three basic categories. We've got physical power, the blending of other genres of music, and musicality, which I guess you could say part two is also musicality. But first of all, as far as the physical power, I mean, just his bass drum technique alone you know no one was doing that in rock you know those extra little triplets on the kick drum just the sheer power with which he hit the snare drum you know a big rim shot on all the backbeats and then ghost notes way lower than those so a big yep. spread of volume between the ghost notes and the backbeats you know and just overall just the way he pounded and punished the drums <laughs> Do you know, did he have his heel down or his heel up for his kick drum? You know, I think he's a heel up guy, yeah. like myself. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it probably, like myself, grew out of the need to just be heard with all this other amplified stuff around you. You know, you Ooh. still have these acoustic drums, but now we have Marshall Stacks and SVT bass amps and stuff. Before we used to multi-track everything and mic everything up, you know, you just had to wail away. And I think that's- <laughs> Just the era. So yeah, physical power, number one, for sure. And then the other thing, the blending of those other influences, Bonham was influenced by Gene Krupa and Buddy Rich, and you know, he pulled in those jazzy elements, which I think is where a lot of those triplets on the bass drum came from, the flashiness, the showmanship.
So those things were in there. He was also a fan of James Brown and, you know, all the funk drummers that played with him. So I think that funk influence is in there. I mean, definitely Led Zeppelin as a whole is very influenced by all kinds of African-American music whether it's the blues or the jazz, you know. Do you know if he played traditional grip or did he just... He was a match grip player. He was, okay. Yeah, you're not a traditional grip, which was kind of rare back then. Um, He probably influenced a lot of drummers after him to to not do that. (laughs) And then the last thing was just um, his overall musical approach and the musicality you know, he wasn't just a drummer who kept the beat in the back, which is what a lot of drummers would do. Like somebody like Charlie Watts, you know, who really just like he was the heartbeat of the band and God bless him. I mean, that was the right thing for that music. But in the, in the context of Led Zeppelin, I mean, he really, he played as much with Jimmy Page, the guitarist, as he did with the bassist, John Paul Jones. He was all those riffs. um, He would, you know, the kick drum was often playing along with the right hand, the picking hand of Jimmy Page as well. Doom, da 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 doom, da doom, da 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 doom. Which is also, you know, typically what we do with a bass player, but that's not always, as drummers, we're not always playing so much with the guitarist. So that's one thing that made him different. And then the way he would propel the music with these fills that like, I feel like I wouldn't be able to get away with in most of my <laughs> bands, you know? Yeah. It's like, it would have been way too indulgent, you know, right. or like, oh, that's a little bit busy, dude. Right. But like, you know, he just da 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 in a weird place yes we've also been talking about how the drummer is the feel of the band and bonham had great feel like his pocket was deep it would have been a different band with a different drummer obviously but talk to me about feel and as a drummer you're really leading the band you're really driving the whole organization Talk to me about pocket. Talk to me about feel. It's everything. I mean, just the tone of the snare drum, how the snare drum sounds, is like 78% of the sound of the band. Right. You know, the overall sound, before you even get into the pocket. Like, the drums are such a huge thing. I mean, you take, like, the drum sound of 311, you know, that right. like, piccolo snare. Right. It's like, without that, it would sound... I mean, that is a signature of that. Right. Of that Same thing with Zeppelin or, or any band, but to answer your question, to me, like the perfect pocket is like metronomically in time. Okay. You know? But I'm not saying that sounds the best or right. is the best thing for every type of music. But yeah. for me, the definition of pocket is simply just the, the pulse. Tell me this. Tell me if you were to triangulate your drumming between 
three of your inspirations. Could you pick where you sit as a drummer? For an example, my guitar playing is between David Gilmore, Trey, and Slash. Oh, that's perfect. That's like, I would, how, that's, I would agree. So like, where, where do you sit? I'm in the, the bottom triangle for sure. Definitely. I think. Jim Keltner is another one. I'd like to be in, I'd like to be in his triangle for nice. sure. Nice. Um, yeah. And then uh, Stuart Copeland, for sure. Like I, I like the mixing of genres that he does that turning beats inside out. Um, yeah. Maybe Copeland, Keltner and Bonham probably closest to the bottom all right well you are the best and thanks for your time we appreciate you and uh we'll get you back on for sure and thanks so much thanks i'm so glad i could finally be a part of it talk to you soon man bye We have to call Jeff Simons. Yes. His favorite band in the world is The Who. So I'm interested to hear what he has to say about Keith Moon. I can't wait for that, actually. Hey. Hey, buddy. Jeff, welcome back to the Age Old Question. This week, the topic is on drummers, and we are talking about how drummers can be the secret ingredient in taking a really good band and making it great. And we want to hear your thoughts. Oh, that's really a good question. So off the top of my head, if you can count on a drummer to play musically, if you can count on a drummer to love the songs that he or she is playing, then that heartbeat will sustain any kind of performance. I was just talking to somebody who said like, the beat of a song is the contract you establish with the listener. I love that. Like yeah. you set a groove and the listener is like, okay, your job's to, to let them be in that groove. And if you change the groove, you better change it to something that's equally compelling. We just talked a little bit about Keith Moon. The Who is one of your favorite bands. I'm interested to hear from you. What was special about Keith Moon's drumming? Oh, yeah. Well, Keith Moon breaks every rule I just said. <laughs> That's <laughs> so great about him. Like Keith Moon doesn't establish a groove or a pocket. He doesn't make any kind of contract with the listener about what's going to come next. And at the same time, he loves the songs. Like Keith Moon is so over enthusiastic for the music he's playing that he loses control of himself. Hmm. But he loses control of himself so unpredictably and spectacularly that his drum parts are super exciting. Like if you listen to who's next there are moments where he just starts filling and you can tell he's filling because he's like i cannot believe how great this song is that we're playing this unbridled exuberance yes it's unbridled joy and and because he's so talented it manifests itself in a way that the rest of the band can relate to you know you can feel the difference between how great is this and how great am i Mm. and that for me that's the difference that is so good that is really really powerful in the middle of bargain the song breaks down to nothing and it starts to build up and he starts to do a fill and then he never stops he starts going and he keeps it going until he literally runs out of energy and then he goes back to the snare drum but then he starts filling again the whole last minute of bargain 
is supposed to be this reestablishment of the of the groove of the song and moon is just so excited that he just never stops doing triplets and then somehow continues to do triplets and gets back to the snare drum and, and keeps the groove going unforgivably hysterical jump part that makes it you know makes it my favorite moment on the whole record on a record with teenage wasteland and won't get fooled again i would also say like the very first who single i can't explain is basically a two-minute drum solo like he just never stops going and he's in 64 he's so far ahead of his peers technically he's playing so much louder and faster on early who gigs they had to tie the kit with rope to poles on either side of the stage when they had them because he played those little biscuit tin drums so hard that he would that they would just come apart in front of him i love that film i realize that so far this conversation has been entirely about men and i think that's a problem for rock in general but let's talk about some women who occupy the space that take a really good band and make it transcendently great yeah I, well i mean she is the first one that comes to mind and she's equally famous for being a percussionist that she plays the kit for him at his absolute height like when prince is at the in my opinion at the absolute high point of his career you know to be the drummer that prince counts on in the moment where he's writing a song every five minutes is pretty pretty impressive in the middle of playing the sunshine there's a there's a break where where he calls her out like he goes bump 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 drummer bump 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 do your thing and she just kills it Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. The most frequent comments we get about the age-old question generally have to do with needing more Jeff Simons on the show. Where's Jeff? <laughs> we want more Jeff Simons. <laughs> Talk to you soon, Jeff. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Wait, can I say one more thing about John Bonham? Yes. Because this blew my mind. Yes. October 27th, 1980, John Bonham dies. When he was taken to the hospital in the inquest, it showed that in 24 hours, Bonham had consumed around 40 shots of 40% vodka. 40 shots. After which he vomited, choked, and died. Pulmonary aspiration. 40 shots in 24 hours. He dies. Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, and Robert Plant decide we can't continue on as Led Zeppelin without john bonham that says that it all says it all you're right that is it we, we can play together but it's not going to be nope. led zeppelin i think we did it. <laughs> we did it again why is the drummer 
the most important part. I think, yeah. It's feel. It's feel. That's it. Like, if you want to feel something from music, hire the best drummer. Hire the best drummer. And the bands that we've talked about did. They were, it's the drummers in the Dave Matthews band situation, in the Beatles, in the, in the Stones, in the police. But they, they hired the best drummer that they could get in yeah. all of those cases. And so getting the best drummer may be the key. So if you're out there listening about to form a band, they're guitarists a dime a dozen, man. Start with a good drummer. Start with a good drummer. All right. We hope you had a lot of fun, as much fun as we did, and we hope you'll join us next time when we answer another age-old question. Follow us on Instagram at The Age Old Question. Facebook, The Age Old Question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah, no hating. No hating. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. You used to associate crickets with silence. But since you bought a house in the suburbs, you know crickets hate silence. If any other creature realized rubbing its legs together made a piercing high-pitched noise, they might think, maybe I won't do that. Constantly. All night long. Luckily, you can save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto. Now that's something to make noise about. Just not constantly. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at IntoHistory.com.